Hello, my name is Shane Hancock and I am the Head of Member Products, Guidance and Advice at Australian Super and welcome to our podcast, The Moments That Count. Before we start, it's important to note that the information discussed in this podcast is general only and doesn't take into account your needs or personal objectives. You should assess your own financial situation and needs. Today, this podcast is being recorded at our head office on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I and Australian Super acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Australian Super has the privilege of 3.2 million members trusting us with their retirement savings. A really important topic for many Australians is the government age pension. And to cover this topic, I'm joined by Steve Lambu of Industry Fund Financial Services. Before we start, Steve, and ask some questions on uh, government age pension and how it works, I just want to point out to our audience that the points we're going to discuss today are accurate at the time recording, which is September 2023, and may be subject to change. So, Steve, let's get into it. So can you tell our audience what is the government age pension? Well, the government age pension is essentially the main income support payment for people who've reached age pension age. It's a safety net to help eligible older Australians pay for their basic living expenses. Fun fact, 62% of Australians over 65 years of age receive either a part or a full age pension. So, So you use the term safety net then. So can you just explain what that means in relation to the government age pension? So the age pension, currently it's uh, for a couple, it's $802 a fortnight for a member of a couple each. So that's if they're getting the full age pension, especially uh, this year we've seen inflation just uh, just go through the roof and last year. Um, so that's why we say it's a safety net. Is that going to give someone a very lavish, comfortable lifestyle? Absolutely not. But it does give someone enough income just to meet their essentials. And obviously um, the assumption of people saving for their own retirement and if they're unable to do so or they spend their own personal retirement savings, the government age pension is there. As, it does as kick that. in um, and, and we find that quite often with a lot of our members here, um, they might have a certain amount to retire on and they're, they're doing pretty well and then they'll say, and this comes straight out of the, the members' mouths, they'll say, uh, you know, I'm not too fussed if my super's not going to last till 98 years of age because I'll have the age pension to uh, to act as a safety net when I'm 80 years of age, for example. So quite commonly, um, people ask us, um, and I'm sure you as a financial planner, how am I eligible to receive the government age pension? Can you sort of talk us through eligibility? There's a few criteria for that. So um, a common myth is people think they reach a preservation age and finishing up at work. So obviously the superannuation rules and the age pension rules are, are different. Um, people think as soon as they retire, um, it's almost their God-given right to uh, to get an age pension, and they, they sometimes find out the hard way there. Um, first things first, you have to reach an age pension, a qualifying age, which we term uh, the age pension age. We'll get to that in a moment uh, with the details and specifics. Uh, residential status. So generally speaking, you need to be a resident for at least 10 years in Australia, and five of that needs to be consecutive. And then there's a means test as well. So again, um, in Australia, we operate under a means test for Centrelink, where your assets are assessed and also an income test is assessed. What you find is whatever gives the lowest amount, that's the test Centrelink will apply. Right. So basically, the means test applying to what your assets are, does that assets include your house? It doesn't include the house. Yeah. Unless it's over two hectares. So uh, I had one client live in Proserpine, nice part of the world, just near Hamilton Island. I helped him with his age pension application a few years ago. 
you would not believe his uh, his property was two point zero one hectares. Oh no! And he he did ask me, do we need to tell him exactly what it is? And I, I said we need to tell him. So uh, yeah, that's the only one I've had that's ever been over two hectares. We might keep on the theme of of the assets test. What are some examples of uh, assets that are included in the test? Look, some of the assets there. Um, they pretty much includes pretty much everything, but you, there's a car, for example, there's home contents. They are quite lenient with home contents and what, uh, how that's assessed. I've had, I've had many clients over the years give their insured value. So some people will say, oh, you know, we're insured for 250000 for example, mm. and they've given uh, Centrelink 250000 What's happened, they've just done themselves of two, 300 a fortnight. So Centrelink will accept 10000 for a couple. For a vehicle, that's assessed as well, but that's generally at trade-in value as well. So it's commonly uh, trade-in values assessed. Financial assets, as we mentioned, property is not assessed unless it's over that two hectares. Investment properties are assessed. So we get that commonly asked as well. Investment properties, money sitting in the bank is assessed, shares, superannuation, really important. It's not assessed if you're under age pension age, your superannuation, and that's in the accumulation phase. Mm-hmm. As soon as you convert to an account-based pension, which is choice income for us yep. here, uh, that is assessed as an asset. So that is a real strategy that we uh, focus on with our members. Bear in mind that uh, super won't be assessed. Uh, when we look at the value of an asset, how does that affect your government age pension? So you talked about the things that could be valued and how they might be valued. You use the example of household content. So what's the impact of an assessment to your government age pension? Well, as we mentioned, there's a means test for uh, for your assets and also they'll look at the income test at the same time. Yeah. So obviously the assessment of all those things is going to have an impact. There is cutoff thresholds. So there's an amount that Centrelink will assess and say if you're under that threshold, you potentially get a full age pension. Yep. If you're over that, there might be a reduction so you might get a part-age pension. If you're well over that, there's also a cut-off amount. So uh, they'll assess those um, all those assets that we spoke about. There's also uh, exemptions under the asset test as well. So as we said, the family home's exempt unless it's over uh, two hectares. So someone residing in Brighton, a uh, $15 million home, believe it or not, can get a full-age pension. It yeah, okay. doesn't sound right, does it? But it, it is possible. Yeah. Superannuation accounts that we mentioned, if under-age, pension age, funeral bonds. So there's uh, limits there. So people can pre-purchase funeral bonds to pay for a funeral. Uh, at the moment, it's 15000 a limit, but that's obviously subject to change. Yeah. Um, cemetery plots. So when we run seminars, people ask this all the time. You could potentially own half of Springvale Crematorium. <laughs> Um, worth $15 million and uh, still get uh, uh, a full age pension. So that is uncapped the cemetery plots, but generally people have one. So there's a lot of um, different elements of assets and, we'll, and assets tests, and, and we'll talk a bit about where people can get some help from later. Yeah. So we've already alluded to income tests. So can you give us an example of what's involved in the income test? Well, the income test, uh, it's a little bit more uh, complicated for, for clients. So it does include employment income as well, and we'll, we'll touch on a few things there where uh, people choose to work, work past age, pension age, but the income test, so employment income, it might be part-time, it might be full-time income. Uh, financial assets, now financial assets, 
are treated quite differently. I think Centrelink, just to keep things uh, simple and uh, make things fairer, I guess, for a lot of people, they, they don't actually look at what your income is. Say you've got 300000 in shares or in the bank account. They just don't have the resources to actually look at each individual's unique situation and say, oh, Shane Hancock got uh, $1,684 in dividends this financial year. Um, they, they can't do that. So what they do is they'll say, uh, and it falls under deeming. Mm-hmm. So deeming is, uh, it's a set of rules used to work out income earned from your financial assets. And it is just based on financial assets. To give you an idea, we'll just uh, say for a couple, the first 100200 at the moment, again, this is subject to change, is assessed at earning 0.25%. Yep. Anything above that is assessed at 2.25%. Okay. So then Centrelink will work out an, an annualised amount and then convert it to a fortnightly income. And so you could be earning multiple times that, but you're only being assessed at earning the, correct. the amount that um, you just referred it, to. It, it is quite generous. Centrelink have said they've come out and the government's come out and said last year in the budget they won't change that. So those deeming rates are four or five years old when the cash rate was almost down to zero. So as you know, the cash rate's a lot higher than that now. So uh, that, that is likely to change in July of next year, but we, there's no guarantee of that. Yeah. yeah. So that's in relation to um, income earning on assets. What about employment? So employment income is added onto deeming. So that's assessed. So there's no deeming on that. Whatever you're earning, they'll assess. Now, there is a thing called the work bonus. Yeah, which, tell me which, about that. Which I, I think is sensational. Um, so the work bonus, it's basically an incentive for people to work past the age, pension age. Yeah. So um, essentially, to keep it simple, your first $300 of every fortnight earned in employment income, if you're over age, pension age, is exempt. So someone that's earned $1,000, they'll assess 700 of that fortnight. And with that, there's a work bonus, there's an accrued amount which was, um, it's generally 7800 of unused work bonus. But for this calendar year, it's going to finish up December of 23. They've upped that by 4000 So that might be relevant for some people. But uh, to give you an idea, I had um, one, one of my clients here, uh, 70 years of age. So this was two years back. I just said, you thought about applying for the age pension? And he thought, uh, don't be ridiculous. Uh, I said, there's a chance we might be able to uh, get an age pension for you. So uh, the gentleman was earning 72000 per annum. Um, lo and behold, we actually got him a part age pension of about $70, $80 a fortnight, obviously dependent on uh, if he's done any overtime or not. But uh, he thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And um, I, was, I was actually surprised myself because, you know, it's a decent income yeah. there, but uh, purely because of that work bonus. And, um, and that's the beauty of receiving advice from an advisor is most people aren't aware of that. They can still work and still get a part-age pension. So it's like a best of both worlds for these clients. And uh, It's a really important point. I know I've had experience with family members or, or um, other members that we've come across who there's a perception that uh, people think that you can only apply for the age pension once. But you know that example is a good one. So you may not be eligible, you may not meet the assets or income test upon retirement, but that your, your situation can change. So you can apply for the age pension in the future like your client yeah. that you've just talked about. And that's really important for people to understand is as their situation changes to reassess the eligibility. Yeah. Um, one thing I, that, that I did skip over because uh, we moved into asset income, but just going back to the qualifying age for the age pension. 
So qualifying ages, uh, it, it has changed over the years. What they've done now, anyone, to give you an idea, anyone born after 1st of January 1957, the qualifying age is 67. Anyone that was born before 1st of July 1952 was 65. And then there's a tiered system. So 1st of July 52 to 31st of December 53, 65 and a half. 1st of Jan 54th to 30th of June 55 is 66. And 1st of July 55 to 31st of December 56 is 66 and a half. So it does vary, but uh, just depending on when you were born. Yeah. yeah, and just linking that back to your comment earlier about the difference between the eligibility date for the age pension versus the preservation age or when you can access your superannuation, they're not exactly the same. No, so, they're not related at all. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, I, I actually caught up with the member last week, and he, 70 years of age, and uh, I said, how come you haven't applied for the age pension? And he said, oh, I didn't realise I could because I'm still working. Yeah, right. Um, and he was blown away. Um, he's only earning a you know small part-time income as a self-employed, but... Uh, I said, well, it's a good thing you've come in because that could have continued for another couple of years. He's still working, but uh, um, he could have applied four, four or five years ago. Great. Um, so just on the age, does someone have to wait until the day they turn the eligible date to actually apply for the age pension or can they apply for a prior? Look, Centrelink's given us a guideline. Generally, uh, three months before yep. is an age where um, you probably should be applying. Sometimes they get done in four weeks. Sometimes they can get done in three months. It just depends how busy they are. But they, uh, you can actually apply three months prior to reaching age, pension age. Uh, and so if someone isn't eligible for the government age pension um, for various reasons that you've already alluded to, are there any other social security benefits you can apply for? There are. We uh, we deal with this quite often here with our members. So uh, some people aren't eligible, due, obviously due to the assets or the income test. But uh, if you are, there's uh, the pension concession cards. But if you're not, um, there's a Commonwealth Seniors Healthcare card. And uh, that gives you a few little perks. Um, and there's also the low-income healthcare card. So the low-income healthcare card gives you a little bit more. It actually gives you some energy concessions as well, um, which people absolutely love, especially with your, your winter gas bill. I, uh, I wasn't too pleased with mine. But uh, <laughs> look, it, it does give them some relief there. But uh, the Commonwealth seniors, uh, obviously things like the cheaper pharmaceuticals under the, the PBS scheme, giving a little bit extra under the Medicare safety net, so a little bit of an extra rebate there. So they're still means tested. Now, the, the Commonwealth seniors is a lot more generous. Obviously, it doesn't give you as much, but the low-income healthcare card gives you a lot more, and people absolutely love it. Steve? You've talked about uh, all the different nuances in relation to social security benefits and particularly government age pension. There's a lot of information for people to process around their eligibility and when and when they can apply and so on. Where can people seek help in understanding how they can navigate that system? So uh, as we mentioned, it, it can be quite a complex uh, process there, applying for the age pension. They'll look at your, uh, your assets, income, and a few other variables as well. But, uh, it's always a good idea to speak to your relevant super fund to access different advice options. But we always recommend, uh, especially for more complex situations, to contact Centrelink. There's a financial investment services officer, they call it FIS, and they can, uh, they can help uh, as well just to make sure that the member's not missing out on anything. 
and make sure everything's done spot on because the last thing you want where uh, all the information wasn't given accurately and then two years later, Centrelink sometimes comes back and says, um, you are $7,000, for example, and that can be quite stressful for the members. So uh, we always recommend, obviously, come and see us for advice, but also speak to your FIS officer in Centrelink, and uh, that pretty much makes sure uh, that your application process is going to be spot on. That's great. Thanks, Steve, and thanks for joining us today to cover a very important topic. Thanks for having me, Shane. Thank you for joining us today. If you're an Australian Super member and you would like to join us to share your story or have a question or topic you would like us to cover, then click the link in our show notes to get in touch. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and share with your friends and family. See you next time.